0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren.
1: Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. David Yurth from Nova Institute of Technology, way out there in Salt Lake City, will uh, jump in here on the conversation in just a moment. David's been on the show before. He's the inventor of a, uh, a device that removes carbon dioxide and, and most other noxious fumes from car exhaust, And this is not pie in the sky. They have proof of concept. It works. Not only car engines, but you could retrofit one of these devices uh, on a coal-fired uh, plant, diesel, uh, any internal combustion engine on the planet, you name it. It's, um, it's really disruptive technology, folks. So hold on to your hats. And he's got new, uh, some new developments as well on that front. Uh, Imagine, though, a burning fossil fuel with impunity. So there, there is such a thing as clean coal. We're not talking about sequestering the carbon dioxide either because that is expensive. We're talking about eliminating CO2 from the exhaust. All right, Albert Wenzel, my story producer, is off for the next several weeks, not sure where he is. Albert is a very mysterious, secretive young man, and I think he may be a spy. Uh, That said... Uh, There is no hangout on air tonight, no hangout on air, for the next several weeks, actually. Uh, But we will get the HOAs going again around the fourth week of July. And thanks to all of you who catch us on the live stream on YouTube. I appreciate it. Uh, Ian is also off for the next couple of weeks. He and his rockabilly band are on tour. Uh, So we have the very capable young Jamie on the board for the next uh, several weeks. Please uh, get on up to the website, strangeplanet.ca. That's the landing page. And from there, you can check out the radio page for this very program, The Conspiracy Show. Uh, the radio page has all sorts of, of great information about this program, including this week's show info, links to our guests' websites, and so forth. And you can become a member uh, by clicking on that blue member button on the left-hand side. It's, uh, registration is fast. It's easy, free. It uh, gains you access to uh, member-only areas of the website, like past show info, the audio archives, going back to the, the summer of 2012, the book club, and so forth. Uh, also, the radio, uh, the, the TV page, rather. Uh, and we now are in the midst of season four of my television program, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett, season four in the U.S. You can catch seasons one through three on Hulu, Amazon.com. I also want to direct you very quickly to the live events page on the website, strangeplanet.ca. A conspiracy Culture, our good friends Patrick and Kadina uh, and I, uh, Strange Planet Productions, uh, are partnering on two live events this fall. One on Sunday, September the 11th, uh, with Dr. Judy Wood, author of Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11. And that's going to be at the JJR McLeod Auditorium at the University of Toronto. Uh, you can go to the live events page, once again, at strangeplanet.ca for more info. And you can order tickets online right there as well. Or you can go to conspiracyculture.com. Conspiracyculture.com and the events page there to order online. Or you can go to the uh, the store uh, and, and buy the tickets in-store, 1344 Bloor Street West. Uh, all right. Several weeks ago, uh, Donald Trump delivered his energy policy speech in North Dakota he talked about making the united states energy independent he talked about bringing back jobs in the coal sector he talked about ripping up the paris accord on climate change and he was roundly criticized uh for that speech not only for the sort of the general thrust of it you know bringing coal mining jobs back and 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 so forth uh, but he was also criticized for lack of specifics but it is as we're about to learn It is possible to have clean coal. It is possible for America to pursue an energy policy centered around fossil fuels, at least in the interim, until, uh, you know, something else comes along that packs the same punch as uh, hydrocarbons. Uh, For every problem, there is... An innovation, and a a technology that can provide solutions. And we're going to talk about that right now. David Yurt's professional focus for 50 years has been in the field of technology development, invention, management, and system integration. He's served as chief scientist, managing partner, founder, director, and CEO of numerous companies. He's currently working as director of science and technology for the NOVA Institute of Technology. His experience is heavily weighted, in industry and networking, technology, analytics, research, and prototype development and testing. He's invented or co-invented more than 60 innovative technology-based integration and devices. He's the author of 12 books, 15 screenplays, 12 scientific papers, articles, and scientific monographs, and serves as reviewer and editor for five peer-reviewed scientific publications. And uh, David Yurth, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show.
0: How are you? Oh, thanks very much, Richard. It's great to, great to talk to you again.
1: Uh, Before we give people an update, let's just dial back very quickly and, and we'll tell them, uh, I'll get you to tell them in a nutshell uh, about this, uh, it's a long name, the Corona Discharge Gas Plasma Disassociation System. We'll call it the CO2 device. Uh, In a nutshell, what does it do?
0: Well, it's a pretty interesting proposition. People have been trying for the better part of 30 years in the scientific and research uh, community to find a way to dismember the carbon dioxide molecule. it's relatively easy to do that with a water molecule. In fact, there are all kinds of things uh, all over the world and millions of hits if you google uh, oxyhydrogen gas uh, on the internet. But what we discovered when we began looking at this topic several years ago, after reviewing more than a thousand scientific papers, about a 100 of which are right specifically on point to the topic that we were looking for, is that the, the current uh, uh, conventional thinking holds that carbon dioxide as a gas molecule is so stable. It's such a happy molecule, remains uh, generally consistent between a minus 160 degrees Fahrenheit and more than 3500 degrees Fahrenheit. So introducing some sort of excitation source to take that molecule apart under laboratory controlled conditions has proved to be a much bigger a challenge than the scientific community anticipated.
1: And the reason you want to take the CO2 molecule apart is
0: why? It's the principal contributor to climate change gases. The only gas that contributes to climate change more than CO2 is methane, and when reduced to its principal constituents, methane becomes carbon dioxide. So the whole purpose of the Climate Change Accords held in Paris in 2016 was to find ways to diminish the production of carbon dioxide and carbon particulates as a function of industrial production. They introduced 11 different Approaches to dealing with the problem and all of them deal with carbon dioxide and other climate change gases in the context of their having already been produced and released into the environment then what do you do
1: right they talk about sequester- sequestering the co2 which is an expensive proposition
0: well it doesn't work no. you can't you can't take industrial grade co2 and pump it down an empty well hole and expect it to stay there
1: no and and, and the the paris accord in terms of from from the canadian perspective in order for us to meet the obligations of the paris accord which is absolutely uh, absurd by 2030 we would have to essentially collapse our energy and our agricultural sectors not going to happen in a million years.
0: Well, we had a, we had a long, uh, cordial conversation with former governor general of uh, the provinces, uh, the Honorable Edward Schreier, here in Salt Lake City last fall.
1: Right, former uh, pre- uh, premier of uh, Manitoba and our former, um, you're right, the former um, Go- the governor, governor general, general,
0: of general of Canada. Right. That's right, and a, a really wonderful man. Uh, his master's degree, incidentally, is in energy economics. Hmm. So, you know, he really understands the issues here. And the challenge in Canada is that if by 2030 someone hasn't figured out how to solve this problem, the coal production and, and use of coal as an electrical power production fuel will stop completely. It will end in 2030. Right. What that what that means for the Canadian economy is that in the beginning, within eighteen months after they push that button, the 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 countries of Canada, the, the provinces and 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 the territories in Alaska together will end up paying out more than twelve billion dollars in forfeiture fees for having canceled the power production agreements that are related to coal burning power production. And they will lose thirty four percent of their industrial base and all the jobs and all the revenue that's there you generated. Go. Yeah, I mean that this country.
1: dog won't hunt. That's it's, it's everyone it's knows horrible. it's a fraud. Everyone knows the Paris Accord is is a is a fraud. But you have found a way uh, we have. to eliminate not only CO two but other noxious fumes that are produced by the burning of fossil fuels. We have. And
0: after examining the literature And after about 25 years in the business of building and testing energy-related prototypes of one kind or another in our own laboratories, and with more than 300 other companies who have been engaged in similar pursuits over the years, we've learned some things about what makes gases do what they do. the conventional approach in physics has been to reduce any problem in physical interactions down to a single variable, right? I mean, you have the classic conversation about the physicist who stands up in front of the classroom at the chalkboard, takes a piece of chalk and draws a circle on the board and says, this is a cow, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) And so whatever you talk about after that is one variable. Well, the business of climate change gases is a lot of variables, but they all have one thing in common. They all obey a very specific set of rules with respect to the, to the forces that bind them together. What modern physics has done is tried, under all sorts of really very clever protocols, under carefully controlled, impeccably documented experimental procedure, to subject carbon dioxide in its pure form under controlled conditions to a vast array of single excitation sources.
1: All right, I don't want to get too technical here, David. We're about to head into a break. When we come back, we'll touch again briefly on the CO2 device. And then I also want to talk about some new uh, developments from NOVA Institute that uh, relate to eradicating nuclear waste and also... Uh, some help on the horizon for the fracking industry. I know that's not a popular term, fracking, uh, but uh, you may have another solution uh, or one of your colleagues may have a solution and we like to talk about solutions, not just problems. All right, we'll do that. David Yurth is with us from the Nova Institute of Technology. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett with you on the line from Salt Lake City. David Yurth is with the Nova Institute of Technology, Salt Lake City, and um, we are talking about a piece of technology he and his team have developed. Uh, We're calling it the CO2 device. It has a much longer, more complicated name. (laughs) But the CO2 device will eradicate... All of the noxious fumes, including carbon dioxide, before it comes out the tailpipe, not only in an internal combustion engine or on any vehicle, could be retrofitted in gas vents for power plants, which means that we could burn coal in a clean way without sequestering the CO2. That would make it a little more competitive with natural gas. Uh, we could bring an industrial revolution to, to the places in the in the world that need it desperately, places like the continent of Africa. Imagine burning fossil fuels with impunity uh, so since we last spoke, david, what kind of um, what kind of attention is this device? I think you were in, involved in with with talks with Volkswagen or someone like that, and Lord knows at that time they could use some some technology like this
0: yes we 've been since uh, we talked together about, I guess it's been almost nine months ago now, mm-hmm. uh, we've we've certainly had some interesting engagements. Uh, we have licensing arrangements now in process uh, with folks from China and India and the Middle East and uh, Chile, uh, including uh, some interesting folks that we've been working with in Canada who are who are really focused on finding a way to remediate the, in, the climate gas issue so that we can salvage the coal industry and, and do power production without contaminating the environment.
1: And, and not only the CO2, um, but also other noxious fumes that come out of uh, gasoline.
0: Well, that's right. Gasoline is particularly difficult because about 50 to 60 percent of the fuel that runs through your engine never gets burned. So in your exhaust profile, you have carbon dioxide, you have water vapor, you have carbon monoxide, you have oxides of nitrogen, Mm -hmm. and you also have a significant quantity of uncombusted fuel. And in order for you to really clean up the environment and eliminate the toxicity of those emissions, you not only have to figure out how to dissociate, how to fracture the the exhaust gas molecules, but you also have to fracture the uncombusted fuel molecules. And you have to figure out how to do that without turning your tailpipe into a flamethrower.
1: Right. And and so the end result would be that your engine not only would not produce noxious fumes, but it would also burn fuel more efficiently.
0: Well, that's right. We have a front-end solution. Our patent on that was issued on the 12th of January of this year since we talked last. And I think we set some kind of a land speed record with that. We, from the time we filed to the time we were actually issued was about 13 months.
1: What's Um, the, the, and this could be, this could be, uh, placed on any vehicle, right? It could be placed on an older vehicle. It's a simple. We use,
0: we use a specially, uh, developed spark plug, which is a one for one replacement with a regular spark plug. And then the second piece of that, if you want to add that, is a, uh, a very high-voltage ignition coil, and the third piece that goes with it is a very high-speed switching unit that delivers a double pulse to the spark plug. The first half of the pulse is amps. The second half of the pulse is very high voltage. We had to design a new kind of spark plug to be able to accommodate all that current Because a conventional spark plug just explodes when we do that.
1: Right. I mean, if you get a big enough spark, you could disassociate, you could disassociate the, uh, the water from the hydrogen as you're driving. That's right. And, and that hydrogen then acts as more, kind of an incendiary device and burns, ignites more fuel. Uh, so you can run your engine far leaner, uh, without, you know, blowing out the pistons. I mean, why isn't the world beating a path to your door? This is, (laughs) The most disruptive technology I have heard about in many years, and you have proof of concept. It it works. There's no question, right? Yes, that's true. Well, why isn't this on the front page of the New York Times?
0: It's all a question of how you manage your enterprise. Uh, When we first communicated with Volkswagen, for example, they were in very desperate trouble in the media. We, we We were contacted by them after you and I did Coast to Coast, Within three days after we did that show, the QM uh, for Volkswagen America in Chattanooga contacted us. And, uh, you know, we had a flurry of exchanges, went through the pipeline directly to Wolfsburg, Austria, and disappeared into the giant industrial black hole back there. <laughs> and, uh, and what we discovered subsequent to that in conversations with Ford, with General Motors, with Bosch, and auto leave and again with Volkswagen and with others is that in that institutional world there is really no tolerance for an innovation that's introduced from outside the house. There's no capacity to accommodate it. Wow. It it treads on everybody's territories inside the company. It forces the company to reconsider its allocation of resources it creates all sorts of interesting problems for the supply side of the manufacturing equation, and the "not invented here" syndrome is very much alive and well in the institutional and industrial world,
1: and, and certainly in government too, and probably worse, and so, far so worse than government.
0: So there's just no, there's no tolerance for a solution that is not developed inside the house.
1: <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Isn't that disheartening? Uh, so, these synthetic beasts, I call them, these corporations that become so large, uh, they have developed this culture that is ba- basically sort of this fortress mentality, and it is antithetical to real innovation.
0: I had lunch three years ago with the new CEO of uh, 3M Corporation. He came into our laboratory with his director of business development and his chief scientist, Vladimir. Came in and looked at our technology and their chins dropped and they said, wow, how cool. And we said, well, you know, do you want to work together to try to put this into some of your, into some of your technologies? And he said, yes, we'd love to. He said, our problem is that 3M is so large that it would take one full year for us to swing the bow into the wind to even be able to address this technology. And in the meantime, while we're trying to innovate, we have to buy ten new companies a year in order to show a profit. Wow. There's no innovation going on inside that establishment. They are buying innovation and losing track of their core competence simply because the overhead is crushing them from the inside.
1: So I, I want people, I want this to sink in. I want people to understand what you have. I mean, this is a lightweight device fairly inexpensive, could be installed on any car and would allow us uh, to burn fossil fuels with impunity because it eliminates CO2, noxious fumes. So not only uh, for those who subscribe to anthropogenic global warming, I am not one however you know that doesn't that shouldn't stop us from wanting to conserve energy uh... wanting us to reduce our impact on the environment reduce and eliminate air pollution this device this co2 device does all that and yet you can't get it to market in a significant way because corporations they have this culture that is as i say uh... antithetical to to innovation
0: the turn from the time you get the technology on the table in the executive boardroom till the time it actually appears in original equipment by the manufacturer in the automotive industry is never less than five years. Hmm. And what that means is that if we go after the aftermarket, right, the third-party retrofit automotive aftermarket, we've talked with people like, you know, Walker Group. These guys uh manufacture aftermarket ignition uh, devices uh, in 4,400 retail outlets in North America. And they love this technology, and we're right in the process of having a conversation with them about private labeling and manufacturing this stuff for cars and light-duty trucks. Uh, but having original equipment, and especially in the automobile industry, and most especially in the United States... This is a particularly difficult and vexing problem. Right.
1: I'm guessing that if someone were to have that installed on a new vehicle, they would void their warranty, for example.
0: Among other things, look, Mm -hmm. if I put our technology in the front end of of a Volkswagen Jetta and I put our technology in the exhaust of the Volkswagen Jetta, that car that ordinarily gets is rated, EPA rated, at 40 miles per gallon, will get eighty miles per gallon because <laughs> this burns a hundred percent of the fuel. Right, right. And it generates an increment of horsepower. It will not only burn half as much fuel, but it'll drive as much as twenty to thirty percent more horsepower in the same volume of fuel.
1: Mm. And it'll burn cleaner
0: and it burns much cleaner. It so there, changes, there goes, changes the exhaust profile. By the time it gets out the exhaust pipe, all you have is elemental carbon particles that are a thousand times smaller than the PPM two point fives that the EPA is focused on, and water and oxygen and a little bit of ozone and nitrogen.
1: Well and here's that's here's, it. Wow. Here's the other problem then. You you've eliminated the built in obsolescence. And the auto manufacturers aren't gonna like that.
0: Well, the guys that really don't like it are the Oppenheimer boys that sell platinum to make the catalytic converters. Because <laughs> right. a catalytic converter becomes a useless piece of equipment. That's right, that's right. There you, you go. You don't need it anymore.
1: The other we, obstacle
0: is I... We've already run into that one.
1: I'm so. sure you have. <laughs> Here's the other obstacle. Uh, and this is where the, uh, sort of the political subterfuge comes in. Uh, you may or may not agree with this, but... Because I see things like the Paris Accord and before that the, the Kyoto Accord, uh, it's not about reducing uh, CO2. It, it's not about finding solutions to the problem. It is what we have is uh, it's a control mechanism, and it's about a shift in wealth, massive a massive shift uh, in wealth, and so they're not looking, they're not interested in this technology, I'm guessing, because this is a solution. This allows us to burn fossil fuels with impunity. This would guarantee American energy independence. This could fuel the uh, a new industrial age uh, in the United States. Uh, and all of those objectives are not shared by uh, a certain a certain mindset that would like to take down the United States, that sees the United States or the West as... And and growth as the enemy. What do you think of that, David Yerth?
0: Well, look here is the here is my take on it, uh, Richard. Automobile exhaust is far more difficult to dissociate, to ionize, fragment, fracture, and dissociate than almost any other exhaust gases, because you have so much unignited fuel in the exhaust profile. If I put this same technology on the back end of a coal fired power plant, and we're doing that now. Mm-hmm. One megawatt per hour of coal-fired power plant production produces one and a half tons of carbon dioxide every hour. Mm -hmm. Okay? And we've run through the calculations and we've looked at our technologies and our results and our data samples and we know that we can, if we can tap off one half of one percent of the power production of a coal-fired power plant, we can eliminate the climate gas and carbon particulate emissions from that from that power plant. It's a, it, it, it just simply takes them apart and returns them to the environment in their elemental form.
1: All right, I've got to take another time out. When we come back, I'll allow that to sink in for those listening. And then I want to talk about eradicating radioactive waste. We can make nuclear power viable and safe. And uh, David Yurth will tell us how. And fracking, yes, we'll talk fracking as well. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show.
0: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
1: Welcome back. David Yurth joins us from Salt Lake City. He is with Nova Institute of Technology in Salt Lake City. And uh, we've been talking about uh, the CO2 device. Uh, I want to move on. And um, first, before we do that, uh, give people a website where they can learn more. If there's a YouTube channel, people can see this device. Tell us about it.
0: Of course. NOVA Institute of Technology has a website, which is found at www.novaiot.com. And on the NOVA website, you'll find toggles for our technology page. And the technology page lists the inventory of technologies that we own and are in the process of developing and integrating and licensing yeah, and there's some other interesting information there about who we are and what we're doing and occasional updates about the technology process that we're involved in with this and some other things.
1: All right. We spoke a few days ago and you had some, even if this isn't exciting enough, you have some more exciting news that relates to, I'm not sure if it's the same type of, of uh, a device, but it could be used in the nuclear power industry. Tell me, tell me more about that.
0: We certainly do and, you know, talk about a long slow burn. This has been a, a, a technology development process that we've, we've, we've struggled with for more than 25 years now. We've known since 1997 how to re- eliminate the radioactive emissions in high level nuclear fuel waste. The Department of Energy has replicated our technique and our apparatus and independently verified the protocols that we've used, and we've been threatened with arrest as terrorists because we insisted on persisting with this with this technology and, and research development program.
1: Excuse me, how does Sir? that work? How does that happen? You're, you're you've been declared a terrorist because you can eradicate <laughs> radioactive radioactive waste.
0: Uh, this is one of those perverse places. Uh, In a word, what what happened was that uh, by 2005, the Department of Energy, through some government laboratories, had independently validated our technique. And then because the agenda under W's administration was to encapsulate and bury all high-level nuclear waste under Yucca Mountain, Mm -hmm. and for other reasons that we didn't understand for another 10 years, because our technology actually worked, uh, they absolutely had to find a way to put a stop to the development of it, because the, the 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 food trough that all of the contractors at DOE were backed up to amounted to nothing less than about 25 billion dollars a year uh-huh. to build and maintain and manage the the Yucca Mountain uh, project. Even when Obama took office. Uh, we we took a second run at it. We were invited by the number three guy at DOE to come in and present our technology to a closed meeting of all the 26 department heads of the Department of Energy. Um, we worked for a year to put that presentation together. And then two weeks before we were actually scheduled to fly out to Washington, I got a message from him that apologized profusely by telling me that the contractors who actually own and control the Department of Energy were so upset by the fact that he was going to allow us to come in and talk about the technology that he was having so much political pressure he couldn't let us come in. The contractors don't want it known that it works. They didn't want it known as a matter of record that we'd ever even talked about it. Wow. So,
1: what about this? Well, how does this... We've got about two minutes here. This is a short segment, and we'll come back and talk more. But how does this... How does it work? I mean, how does it eradicate or turn radioactive waste into an
0: inert substance? You have to change the half-life of the material. And if your listeners don't know what that means, in the nuclear decay cycle process, there is a, uh, a process by which the nucleus of each of the radioactive materials dissociates itself because it's energetically imbalanced. And the amount of time it takes to do that and become a different material, it's called its half-life. And in the, in the case of enriched uranium, for example, there are 10 sequential daughter products that go through the half-life process. Well, these daughter products remain radioactive, some of them for very short periods of time for for nanoseconds and others of them remain radioactive at that level for as much as 250,000 years.
1: Like strontium.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you get strontium-90, uh remains radioactive in its primary daughter product for 30,000 years. So what you have to do to stop the emissions process is you have to find an effective way to dismantle the atom. Effectively, what we're doing is the same thing that happens that makes an atomic bomb create all that energy, but we have to do it in a way that doesn't create catastrophic annihilation in the process.
1: Yeah, that would be handy. Okay, we'll take a of time out. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about that and sure. fracking as well. David Yurth, Nova Institute of Technology, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with David Yurth from Salt Lake City, Nova Institute of Technology. Give us the website again, David.
0: www.novaiot.com
1: All right. So uh, back to the uh, disassociation of radioactive uh, radioactive uh, material. Uh, so what are you, you bringing the half-life down to what? Let's say we, you, we made the example of strontium-90, a half-life of 30,000 years. So what can you do with the strontium-90 molecule or atom
0: we can dissociate the nuclear components through a series of steps that render that material inert in the form of an isotope of lithium. So it has no more radioactive emissions at all. Yeah. And, the way we, and the way we do that, mm-hmm. if your listeners are really interested, they can go to the web and Google the term high-density charge cluster. Picture a spark emitter that shoots a big cloud of electrons that organize themselves into the form of a bagel.
1: I can imagine a, that.
0: <laughs> a, tor- a torus. Okay. It's not supposed to happen. The rules of physics say it's not supposed to happen, but it's a proven phenomenon. It's a very stable archetypal form, the torus. We call it a bagel, made of electrons. Mm-hmm. The center of that of that bagel is very highly negatively charged. So if we propagate the bagel And shoot it through a vacuum chamber that is populated with a surplus of protons, which are 1,800 times more massive than an electron, and which are positively charged. We can attract one proton into the middle of that one millionth of a meter diameter bagel. It's one micron in diameter. We can attract one proton for every 100,000 electrons. So that by the time that bagel carrying 10 to the 16th power protons in its center traveling at one-tenth the speed of light impacts the surface of a nuclear fuel rod, for example, a zirconium fuel rod filled with pellets comprised of thorium and enriched nuclear uranium, When that bagel hits that surface, the first thing that happens is all those electrons, 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd electrons called Avogadro's number, a 10 followed by 23 zeros. All of those electrons hit at the same time. They manifest themselves in the form of heat, and they melt a great big hole. And then the protons come charging through the hole, and at one-tenth light speed, impact the nuclei of the target material. Picture a bowling ball striking magnetic bowling pins stacked up in a pyramid. What happens is that the bowling ball has kinetic energy. It has mass in motion. And that momentum knocks that pyramid down, and those, and those magnetic bowling pins fall down to a lower energy state and they reorganize themselves in a flattened topology north to south, north to south, north to south. They're not a pyramid anymore. They're just a clump of of self-organized bowling pins. What happens in that process is that we have now liberated a lot of photons, lots of light and lots of heat and some neutrinos and some gamma rays and a bunch of other Products, but we haven't created an explosion. What we've done is knocked it apart and liberated the binding energy. Okay. And then, and the next time that stack gets impacted by another bowling ball, it does it again. And that process, then. Remediates the emissions because it changes the atomic structure of the material.
1: All right, I got about a tenth of that maybe, and that's not bad for uh, someone who got about (laughs) as... sorry, that's all right. No, 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 no. That's you know, this is pretty heady stuff, but and uh, I I got the gist of it.
0: So we've done it, and it works.
1: Okay, that's the main point. Now, applications: if if the nuclear the radioactive material has already escaped, can you remediate that?
0: When it gets into the environment, you're hosed. Ah, okay. See, if you look at the video at Fukushima, for example, on the beach south of the power plant at Daiichi, there are four million garbage bags stacked four deep on the beach next to the ocean.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, great
0: place. and, And the contents of those bags is the four to six inches of top soil and surface material That was scraped off the top of everything within 20 kilometers from the, from the event site. They put it in garbage bags and they stacked it up on the beach. Lord. So if this system were located on the site, at very least we could, we could process all the materials in those bags, one bag at a time. It would only take 100,000 years
1: (laughs) to do that. Well, that's if you had one device. Yeah. What if you it, it had? Would,
0: I mean, come on. <laughs> it's just, you know, what are you going to do? You take 150 kilograms, 300 pounds, and you run it through this apparatus. You only have to do that four million times. Wow. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an extinction level event, Richard. It's really yeah. scary. Yeah. And the thing that's most scary about it is that we know what to do. There are three other methods that we've tested that also work for different kinds of radioactive waste, but we are not permitted to be in the game and now we know why.
1: Mhm. Pork barrel politics.
0: No, sir, it's much more scary than that. Oh. On April the 2nd, 2014, during the Fukushima Solutions convention which was aired live from the University of Texas at Austin, John Apsley and I moderated that conference and we released photographic high definition images of a stack of what we later learned was 750 pounds of weapons grade plutonium pencils in the cooling pond below Daiichi number four. What that means is that the civilian power plant located at Fukushima was used as a feedstock source for high-level radioactive waste, which was then processed at a laboratory less than a quarter of a mile away to create weapons-grade plutonium, for whom? And the Japanese government admitted it, hmm. and they re-inf- re- uh, reaffirmed their admission on March 5th of this year.
1: And and who is that? For whom is that weapons-grade plutonium being produced?
0: Look. They said they're going to send it back using a British freighter specifically equipped to ship nuclear material back to the United States. What's going on here, Richard, is that everywhere in the world, contrary to every nuclear treaty that has ever been signed since the nuclear process became part of the industrial world, civilian nuclear waste is being used as the feedstock for military weapons production Everywhere in the world. And the contractors at DOE are the guys that do it. And they're the guys that are refusing to allow us to take our technologies, which they know works, on site to solve the problem. Oh, boy. That's the real agenda.
1: That's ugly. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. And it's
0: it's a fact. Uh, I'm not not making this up. I wish it wasn't true.
1: I didn't know you knew Dr. John Apsley. He's a good friend of the program. He's been on here many times.
0: Dr. John Apsley's one of the real deal guys of all time. I believe it. I, I, have, I, And his book about Fukushima and the work he's done to try to save the lives of the guys on the SS Ronald Reagan is absolutely off the charts. I love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great man. I love that guy.
1: Um, all right. On that happy note, I want to move on to. Uh, <laughs>
0: Sorry. No, 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 no. Listen, you,
1: at least you're, you've you've got you've put it on the table. Okay, the solution is there. Now it's up to the rest of us, uh, you know, to, to to push that boulder up the hill. So, I want to talk. We've only got about four minutes here. I want to talk about um, okay. uh, this issue that 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 uh, is posed by fracking. Yep. Uh, one of the problems with fracking is it produces a backwash. It's an incredibly high uh, uh, salt water. content. Yep. It's it's a brine, as you describe it. And yep. then, from what I understand, the way you explain it, they push they they put that brine to get rid of it. They push it back into the uh, into a hole, and that yep. causes it pollutes the water table, um, and it also it's causes earthquakes.
0: earthquakes. That's
1: right. So, what to do then if we're going to make fracking, a viable? Uh, what to do with all of this brine? You yep. have a solution.
0: We do have a solution. In four minutes or
1: less, sir.
0: (laughs) And it's it's just a dandy. Okay. Picture a reservoir, five acres on the bottom with sloped sides at a 30-degree angle, filled with clean, pure, bright, sparkling, 37% saturated brine. Okay. Super concentrated brine. Mm Mm-hmm insulate the bottom put a cover on the top and let the sun shine on it that pond will ac- will accommodate about 11 million gallons of brine all right when the sun shines on it it'll drive the temperature at the bottom of the pond to over 200 degrees fahrenheit wow and by designing a system that passively absorbs that heat and then transfers it into a uh, 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 a building, we've developed an engine, not a Stirling engine, but a brand new kind of turbine engine that uses a phase change gas like the stuff that runs your refrigerator right. When it absorbs that heat, it expands into the open spaces inside the turbine with almost as much pressure as you get when you burn gasoline inside your engine. That's impressive. just with the temperature. But it burns nothing. It creates no exhaust. It's a closed system. A five-acre pond that uses our technology integration. Right. Generates between 7.5 and and 10 megawatts of power continuously, 24-7, 365 for 40 years.
1: Wow. And that's enough to power how many homes?
0: Well, 10 megawatts of power is enough to power something on the order of 25,000 homes. Oh, good Lord.
1: Oh, good Lord.
0: And it burns no fuel. What it means is that the state of Oklahoma's executive order now can be used to increase the production of electrical power output by turning the brine into a storage battery for sunshine. All right.
1: So, Saudi Arabia trying to stick it to the United States by driving the price of gas down and putting fracking out of business. Uh, Now we've got a viable solution and um, that is a happy note to end on uh, we'll have to have you back on and we'll talk we'll have to talk more about this but this is absolutely it's, it's, it's a lot of fun it's brilliant it's brilliant David you're doing uh, God's work appreciate it
0: well we appreciate your time Richard we're, we're doing everything we can to try to fix the problem and uh, we really appreciate your time and attention
1: all right now everybody listening it's up to you now to get this ball rolling David Yerth, Nova Institute of Technology, the website one more time.
0: www.novaiot.com Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Richard.
1: All right, the website strangeplanet.ca or strangeplanet.tv. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth.